This is Daniela Pavan, Artistic Director of Creative Poison. Welcome to a new episode of our hashtag Creativity Will Save Us podcast series. This special project is a video and podcast series and social media campaign where prominent figures from the international world of art, culture and entertainment come together to reflect on the central value that art brings to all humanity during these challenging quarantine times of the global COVID-19 pandemic. The initiative is also designed to support the global community of artists who are seeing all of their venues temporarily shutting down to safely prevent the spreading of the coronavirus. I invite you all to go and check our web series on the official Creative Poison YouTube channel. And today we have a very special guest, right Tommaso? Yes, welcome everybody. This is Tommaso Cartia. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Creative Poison. And yes, so our series continues today with a conversation with someone who beautifully embodies the theme of creativity from many different perspectives. He is a serial entrepreneur whose diverse passions intersect different fields and disciplines, such as technology, art, design, communication, and social value. We have the pleasure to be here today with Lorenzo Tione. Welcome to our show, Lorenzo. Thank Hi, Lorenzo. <laughs> Welcome. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to be able to share some thoughts from my hold up location here in New York City, where we're all self-quarantining in this very weird time. Um, so I'm yeah. happy, to, yeah. happy to talk to you guys. Thank <laughs> you so very much. Thank you, Lorenzo. So um, first of all, let me just briefly introduce you to our audience. Lorenzo, you are a Tony Award-winning Broadway producer and the co-creator and lead producer of Allegiance, the Broadway musical starring George Takei and Leah Salonga, of which you also directed and produced the 2016 film. You previously co-founded startups such as PowerSet, then acquired by Microsoft in 2008, which is the tech heart of Bing, and Artify.it. You are an investor, board member, and advisor for startups such as Figure 8, now Appian, Weights and Biases, CrowdMath, Famo.us, Gobble, Just, and Lucid, and many, many more. So, Lorenzo, you are also the co-founder and board chair emeritus of Startout, the leading no-profit dedicated to fostering entrepreneurship within the LGBTQ community. And you are an outspoken LGBT advocate who was also named one of the most influential LGBTQ people in tech in 2014 and 2018 by Business Insider. You are also the co-founder and CEO of The Social Edge, a social media marketing and consulting firm with a focus on Broadway theater and no-profit communications. Your production company, Sing Out Louise, recently co-produced several successful plays on Broadway, from A Slave Play to The Inheritance. And you are part of the producers of the musical Mrs. Doubtfire, 
which due to the current state of emergency has been suspended and we all hope it will reopen soon. So many things, Lorenzo. <laughs> so many things. I really think that it, it, it takes such a creative mindset to accomplish all of this. And before exploring with you the theme of creativity, I would just wanted to start our conversation simply asking you, how are you doing and how are you living through this forced quarantine? So I think, <laughs> um, I think that the um, very fact here you're noticing how many different projects and things that I have been involved or even right. am currently involved is, um, you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, on one hand, you could look at it as professional ADD. It's like, couldn't you concentrate on one thing instead? And then the other is really sort of the um, outlet, the expression of sort of the need to um, create and cooperate and collaborate and learn. Uh, learning is a big, big part of it and learn in a number of different environments. And I think that that certainly is some, um, uh, a characteristic that describes me and defines me well, and that is at odds with the current environment in a way that is um, maybe even more so than, than someone who's, you know, focused on one thing and one thing only and, and sort of finds a way to adapt to that to, um, to this new normal. Um, I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm healthy, I'm safe. I am here with my husband in, and our dogs in our apartment in New York. Um, it feels like despite the fact that New York is at the epicenter okay. of the crisis, um, yeah. it, it is, in a sense, not a bad place to be. Um, it is um, showing a lot of strength and, uh, and cohesion in a moment of, of uh, difficulty. And I think it's better than, say, for example, um, which I toyed with the idea of, of leaving the city and going somewhere else, maybe more isolated, because I think that there's also downsides to that. People are overcrowding hospitals ultimately and, and overbearing sort of uh, um, healthcare systems and, and logistic supply chain systems are already strained. So I'm happy to be here. Um, we're keeping safe. We're quarantining. We're hoping that this all subsides soon. And um, in the meanwhile, we try and find ways to um, let our creativity flow and to work on new things, uh, preparing for a time when jobs and work and projects can finally come back. Right. And actually, you introduce what's the, the core of our interview, which is about like exploring the theme of creativity. So I would like to, to ask you, what does creativity mean to you? And do you think that hashtag creativity will save us and could save us in this specific, very critical time? So uh, you know, I actually, over the years, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what creativity means to me. Um, I have a very broad definition of creativity. Um, I think that people often defines and describe creative people as people in the arts, people in entertainment, people in the visual arts, people in um, sort of uh, everything but things like hard science or engineering or math or, and I find that way of thinking about it profoundly flawed. I think that creativity is what the word means, which means to create. And um, there is an enormous mm -hmm. um, set of 
professions and endeavors and passions that literally create something that did not exist before. I find that ultimately um, my vocation, my chosen path in life as an entrepreneur, um, which is broad enough to encompass different industries and different environments and different group of peoples and different skill sets, um, is truly creativity at its core. The definition of someone who uh, is an entrepreneur and creates a new business or a new opportunity or a new product or a new market or a new way of uh, engaging and communicating with people is truly the envisioning of what needs to be done, gathered, collected and realized in order for that vision to take form and to exist in a world that didn't have it before. I also think that moments of challenge moments of difficulty in light in sort of in history and in one's life can always be looked at as moments of opportunity and there are needs that are specific and painful and acute that did not exist before that all of a sudden become apparent and the value in solving those problems and those needs with new solutions, with creative innovations, with creative ideas becomes all the more valuable. And this is not to take away from or to say that creativity in the more traditional way of thinking, in the sense of the arts, in the sense of the emotional connection with audiences, with consumers of, of the creative output that is not as important and as poignant in moments of difficulty. Because when we are challenged is the moment when we connect at our best with our own emotions and with the emotions of those that surround us. And truly um, empathy, the ability to, to connect at an emotional level um, amongst human beings is maybe the one of the most primordial needs and one of the best levers and leverages for creative output to actually come to, to fruition. So I think that we will see um, out of this moment a, a ton of new art and a ton of new innovations and enterprises and uh, creative solutions to problems that maybe just a few months ago we were not realizing the world needed nearly as much. Right. Yeah, I agree with you because this is a very unprecedented scenario that is making us face uh, many challenges that you actually just uh, uh, very well described, like uh, uh, social distancing and, uh, and uh, the social gathering that are completely forbidden now, uh, the venues are temporarily closed, and uh, unfortunately also uh, the economic uh, impact that all of this is having. So um, talking specifically about uh, your industry. In your opinion, how this is impacting the theater industry, but in, let's say, medium long term, because unfortunately we know what uh, the short term is bringing to the table. And uh, as you said, I agree with you on the approach uh, about looking uh, uh, at this uh, situation, not just um, uh, with the eyes of uncertainty, but with um, the eyes of the challenges and the opportunities that this can bring to the table. So how, what kind of opportunities or how do you think, uh, think if, if you feel like sharing uh, these thoughts uh, with us, uh, how do you think this scenario will change? So I can tell you what I think will not change. 
Um, what will not change is the intrinsic need uh, and desire for people to uh, gather communally and consume stories uh, being told by other human beings. Um, that has never changed. It has never changed through millennia of history um, and things like pandemics and wars and whatnot. Eventually, people always reconnect and come back to this really basic need. Um, and so I do think theater will not only survive, but it will thrive and it will continue to emerge from this um, as a strong part of our humanity, of your collect collectively shared human experience. It's much harder to predict and to make exact statements around how and in what ways um, the world will be different in the way in which people consume art and come together. I think, I think ultimately we will see initially things like restrictions on capacity of theaters, requirements on people, uh, you know, temperature being taken from people at the door, mouth coverings and all of those things, because we are reeling from a shock and we need to kind of figure out how we are going to um, go after the things that we want and we need and we seek for our lives and for our economies to come back, um, while at the same time protecting the health of as many people as we can. And obviously, all of this relies on big assumptions around this specific pandemic being um, continuing to be a public health risk. I mean, if tomorrow a viable vaccine came, um, then we could see a much quicker return to mode that seemed normal up until um, a few months ago, even though I think that there are some changes that are happening right now that are irreversible. And those are ultimately just accelerations of trends that were existing before. So I think that the ability to have really compelling meetings for work and collaboration in a remote fashion, um, which it's not like the technology didn't exist a year ago and it exists now, even though it'll improve and it'll continue to improve. It's just that people all of a sudden, because, you know, I think in, uh, in Italian we say, uh, fare di necessità virtù, and it's like, you know, out of necessity, out of necessity comes the value um, that maybe was not, as a parent before. And, and this, you know, will make, will, will create a lot of positive things. People will be able to work better across larger distances and they will not need to travel nearly as much, which is all sorts of positive environmental impact. I think that there are other things that I worry about every day. I could bore everybody with the financial details and the commercial aspect of how this industry is going from a commercial point of view is going to be hit. Um, you know, not just now, obviously we understand productions are not happening right now and some of them may not survive, but what does it mean when we come back? Will people immediately feel like they want to come back into, into movie theaters or theaters? What does it mean for the obstacles that various um, parties encountered before to the idea of, say, for example, filming and streaming Broadway productions all over the world? Um, what, will, what will it do to the uh, cost structures that maybe were bloated and inflated um, by years of complacency and sort of uh, 
certain aspects of the industry? And will that be an opportunity to renegotiate some of that? What will it do to the reliance of the industry on more traditional ways of advertising, such as television and outdoors and, and, and so on and so forth, that also could potentially change? One more thing is to say, what will it do to the landscape of the shows talking about Broadway that will be able to come back once the industry can restart. And what I mean by that is, you know, in a world in which coronavirus still exists, even assuming that there is a, a, a desire for an entire industry to be restarted, which of course there is, and for audiences to attend, which I think will be true, I don't think that it's reasonable to expect that, for example, international tourism will immediately come back roaring as much as it was a few months ago. And so you've got to now contend with a, a business model where you had long running shows, sometimes for decades, that were sustaining exclusively, sustaining and thriving, but exclusively on a market made of people that were coming into the city of New York from other markets. And so, you know, all New Yorkers that go to the theater by this time will have seen Wicked, will have seen Phantom of the Opera, will have seen Book of Mormon. And so if those shows that are the ones that financially are in the best situation to be able to come back and reopen once the epidemic is over, or I should say once the crisis of the epidemic is over, right, which is what we're living through right now, will they have an audience as opposed to opening a whole new slate of younger, newer shows that can instead benefit from um, a resilient population in New York of people that want to, you know, live and go back to their lives and, and see art and, and, and reconnect. So I think it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's we are going to see a slow reintroduction of theater. We are going to see new requirements and impositions put on both the performers and the companies as well as the audiences. And we're going to see a reshuffling of which shows are the ones that the city of New York and the market of Broadway can and will be able to support in the short term, in the short term, short to medium term, before the world economy really comes back to a world in which people travel and come to New York in millions and millions by, uh, by the millions and millions every year. So talking about like new opportunities and new ways and waves of thinking that this critical time can lead us to, I would like to share with you and with our audience a theory that I've just read about and I'd love to hear your opinion about it. So right now, uh, it seems like a new dwarf planet that was recently discovered named Sedna is orbiting very close to the Earth. The anomaly of this planet is that its orbit is an eccentric one, so very different from all of the other planets of the solar system. Some philosophers and thinkers are interpreting this as a sign, like if this planet with its proximity is sending us a message to the whole humanity battling against uh, the pandemic. To think in an, in an eccentric way, meaning to open up our minds to new ways of thinking, they are not necessarily linear or the ones that we were used to since a few weeks ago. So what do you think about this suggestion? As a metaphor, do you think that we are headed towards a mental and spiritual shift and transformation? I think that shifts and transformations in the way in which we look at the world always have and always will come from within. 
they they basically are ways in which humanity collectively changes and evolves and matures and adapts and one of the great and sort of you know funky ways in which humanity has had over the the centuries of justifying those changes is to look at the natural world and and various things and that were happening as um confirmation and as um reinforcement of those very forces that were coming from within i think that there's there's been an evolution and a trend towards trying to look at the world in ways that were new in ways that were creative in ways that were you know i think that just the fact that terms like thinking outside the box exist means that this is this is things this is a um a push and pull uh, it's a continuum that people have experienced forever between being stuck in one's old ways and being creative and innovative and you know there's certainly a lot of value and importance and and uh goodness in experience and in continuity that's why in a lot of ways we value experience and continuity in our lives in our professions in 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 all sorts of ways but we also know that there is a lot of value in opening up perspective in looking at problems with new information in not being stuck in the old ways right so to speak and in um allowing say newer you know younger generations a newer perspective and new new groups of people to come in and try and think about problems in in a different way so while i don't believe personally that the planets will sort of inform or change the way in which we uh we behave you know as a species as a as 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 humans i really do believe that it's you know it's a it's a natural evolution i think it's always good to look at things and take the opportunity to look at, at problems and challenges in ways that are eccentric and uh, and non-linear and sort of uh, uh novel and if the right way to convince others that that's the right thing to do is to look at the stars and say oh look a planet is telling us that this is the right way to do then all the better and thank you for sharing this so now uh, many performers are finding uh, new ways to express themselves uh, through social media in a much stronger way than they used to and also the different venues are trying to keep their audiences engaged with virtual home performances from theaters to uh, very famous locations i'm thinking also uh, for example to what happened in italy last sunday uh, when um, uh, andrea bocelli the popular tenor sang in front of the empty duomo square in milan um uh, and it was completely empty in front of him but it was in front of millions of people from all over the world who followed uh, the event from remote and then the dancers and the athletes that are streaming their routines and their exercises through zoom to audiences from different parts of the planet and the podcasting phenomenon so how will all of this impact uh the future that uh you know uh, in the way we we will experience content let's focus more you talked a lot about this earlier so let's focus more on the podcast part i don't think that podcasting is per se a new medium right it's actually just um a different technology te- technical delivery of a medium yeah. that has existed in various forms for 
for a long time. I mean, in shorter, in shorter paths, we can call it radio, right? Different delivery, but ultimately a very similar experience. Um, and even before that, just kind of oral storytelling is just basically the, at the core of it. So we're animals with five senses. And we try and use all of them at once uh, because that gives us the best possible experience of life and of the world. But turns out that partial experiences through these senses can be compelling too. Um, you can have a very compelling uh, experience when it comes to stories, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to entertainment, enjoyment, and even information, uh, just using our sense of uh, uh, of listening, of, of hearing. And, and that's what podcasting is. I feel the big advantage of it is how it fits in a world where our lives and our attention is competed upon by enormous amounts of other things that are happening all at once. And we are moving from one place to another. And we are in cars and subway cars and in, you know, and, and the ability to have content delivered to us anywhere we want at any time in an asynchronous way uh, makes it all the more likely that people will want to, on one hand, engage with it. And on the other is really the ability to deliver much more content that existed before. So if you have radio and you have 24 hours in the day and so many stations that you can actually deliver upon a, a, a frequency spectrum, then you're limited with the amount of content that if I want to listen to right now that I can get to, right? So I only have so many choices. And all of a sudden, this technology delivers us the, the you know, a, a world that is our oyster when it comes to the content that we can find. And that means opportunities to engage with niche audiences, with groups that are highly engaged with certain content and to, you know, give a little bit of what each of us is interested to us at any moment and at any given time. I think it will grow. I think it will continue to grow. I also think that um, this moment is a moment of reaction. And so I wouldn't read too much in, for example, the fact that athletes are streaming their routines on Zoom and thinking that that will intrinsically change how um, sports will be you know, performed and that everybody, they will do their own routine and not come together. I mean, the one thing that is not going to change is our deep, deep, deep need to be social with each other, right? And, um, and that is ultimately a need in the name of which we are willing to sacrifice our collective health too. I mean, you know, that's why pandemics spread over the over the centuries and that's why they spread even today. It's like it's this competition against this really basic desire that we have. So ultimately, I think I find podcasting very exciting. I find it I find it more powerful if people understand that it's not um, a new thing in the way in which content is delivered or uh, or, or the way that people need to think about the content itself and the, and the storytelling and the create, creative aspect of it. But I, I find that there are enormous opportunities um, to express and connect with an audience that maybe would have been very, very difficult to find and to connect with before podcasting was a thing. I think that maybe if I can add one thing on something we did not talk about, which I personally find um, very exciting and that this moment might just 
uh, accelerate drastically is I find that virtual reality consumption of content uh, is going to be something that will get a jolt uh, and an acceleration that it would not have necessarily enjoyed um, had this pandemic not been happening. Uh, of course, this was a trend that was already happening. We saw technology mature. We will continue to see technology mature. Content continues to be better. But this is a moment when a lot more people who would have probably waited longer to approach virtual reality will find, again, out of necessity, the, uh, the opportunity to enjoy and the connection with um, new ways of expressing and consuming content that they would otherwise not have found. Lorenzo, I'm always uh, interested to ask to people like you who are driven by a strong uh, mathematical and technological mind as well as a very creative one, uh, what's their relationship with spirituality? And I want to think about it not as religion, but as a deeper sense of the universe and the energies that surround us. Because I think, like you said before, that creativity is our special power, and it is not an abstract thing uh, per se, because our thoughts have shapes, geometries, and numbers as well. Uh, or at least that's how I see it. And I think that therefore we are all co-creators of the reality in front of our eyes. So my question to you would be, have you created a mental image of a possible future after this pandemic? Like for example, when I think uh, of, of an image uh, for my future, I see it like I visualize some calm waves and the predominant colors that I see are blue and gold probably because that reminds me of Sicily, where I, where I come from. So what is your uh, feeling when you think about spirituality, when you think about visual uh, imagination? At a spiritual level or at a, at a deep, you know, what I, what I would call the strategy for the soul uh, level, I personally Beautiful. need the reinforcement and the interplay of multiple people's energy together. And so when I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to, to answer your question primarily because I don't think I've tried to envision a world for myself um, that is so much post-pandemic um, as much as I've, I've um, um, spent time thinking and imagining and longing for what I want back or what I need and it's like the presence and the the joy that comes from the chosen human family like the friends the family the the co-workers the people that surround you the people that you that you connect with the people that make you that, that make you feel alive in a sense and so it's um it, it's that you know I'm I, I would say the image I have is the image of a big party a bit, you know, a, a gathering of, of souls, of people, and maybe it is another a theater show, maybe it is an opening night party, maybe it is people on the beach. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just um, isolation is really, really tough. I would like now to, to talk a little bit about uh, your um, uh, personal and professional background, because I think it's very interesting and uh, and articulated. So you were born and raised in Milan, and then you completed your studies at the University of Texas in Austin with a degree in computer engineering. You have been part of the tech world for a very long time, and then um, you turned your passion for the theater into a consistent part of your professional path. Creativity meets technology to build innovation. So based on this, 
what kind of advice would you give to the people who are listening and who are probably feeling uncertain about the future of their business right now? And how should we prepare ourselves for the future? I don't know that I have um, sort of lots of wisdom to impart on this. I can tell you what uh, has guided me, me, which from the outside may look like this well-reasoned plan of joining creativity and technology and innovation, but from the inside always felt like openness to serendipitous discovery and, and kind of sort of... Uh, um, you know, it's the it's the nicer way of uh, describing that same professional ADD we joked about at the very beginning, um, which is, you know, at one point in time, I was and still am, but I was very passionate about certain tech aspects of technology and innovation and language and artificial intelligence. And that drove me in that moment to making certain choices that were consistent with that passion. And when I found myself at an intersection that to many would have seemed obviously, you know, something that was not compatible with the effort had been spent up until that time. And, you know, if you're, if you're a doctor and you spent all this time becoming a doctor, maybe even though if you looked at it with just the future in front of it and not looking at the sunk costs and the past, um, you would take another option or another choice or in, embark on a new project. A lot of people don't. And I feel like it's my, I, I don't know that it's a superpower. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, it's just a quirk. I am always very open to ideas and I look at those way overvaluing the future and the potential and the opportunity. Uh, then I am weighing the past cost and the, you know, the sort of the investments that has been put in that or into something else. I mean, I think the past is past and looking at the future is the best way of, of doing things. Now, that is not to say um, I feel, I don't know, um, you know, reckless or, or sort of uh, uh, that I don't weigh the future outcomes um, when it comes to risks and benefits and, and so on. I actually, I think it's funny, but um, I sometimes describe myself or my the way in which I behave in those in those circumstances as a paranoid, optimistic kind of uh, approach to <laughs> to life. Um, I am fundamentally an optimist. I believe things are. Uh, have potential and have opportunity and there is a bright shiny you know gold uh, at the end of the rainbow but I also really really worry about all the things that can go wrong and try and think about them and spend time you know sort of preparing and plan being and you know all of those things and I think that that's a that's a healthy way of doing it as long as you don't let yourself be trapped in the analysis, you know, sort of become the analysis paralysis kind of sort of situation and you move forward. So what do you may look like? Oh, you took technology and innovation and then you paired it with your other passion. I mean, theater had never been my passion. I mean, theater had just been um, something I had gone to and I liked it and maybe my passion and what I find that is really kind of the the thread that is throughout my my career and my life is 
I am passionate for stories and storytelling and communication and emotional connection. And uh, you can do that building a business, you can do that with language, you can do that with technology, you can do that with art, and you can do it with theater of all, uh, of all things, of course. Um, and it just, it just happened. It just happened that it was something that um, seemed interesting and new and exciting and crazy and that I could learn about and I could, and I don't know that I have a plan to do theater forever. I'm doing a million other things right now at the same time. And I've been um, working at the intersection of theater and cinema already. And maybe that will bring me more into cinema and television or maybe back into technology. I mean, truly, it's just, it's um, my, my feeling is that the definition of success has much more to do with the privilege and the ability to pursue your interests and your passion and the things that make you feel connected and alive and, and engaged with other people while all of your needs are satisfied, then they have um, anything, then it has anything to do with um, objective measurements of wealth or of fame or of renown or of success in the way in which other people think of it or, or many other people, not everybody think of it. So that's how I, I approach it, always approached it. And I think I will continue to do so. Uh, so we are coming uh, almost toward, towards the end of our episode. But before closing uh, our conversation, is there anything else that you would like to share with us and with our audience today? I think creativity is also an incredibly important part of mental health. I think that in the same way in which we seek self-improvement and outlets uh, for wellness in physical exercise and in meditation and in connection to nature, I think that creativity really does play a big role in it. And I think I wish more people were finding small ways every day to be creative, to express themselves, uh, maybe cooking or creating a recipe or writing their thoughts or uh, drawing, painting, or creating a company, or writing a software program, or solving uh, a mathematical pro problem that nobody had solved before, or that maybe you had never solved before, because ultimately that's creation just as much. Um, I think it makes us closer to the primal idea of ourselves as, as human beings. That's what we, it feels like that's what we were put here to be doing. And uh, in that same way, I think people find peace, calm, um, they find connection to themselves. And um, that same, those same topics of mindfulness that maybe I don't personally find as compelling for myself of silence and meditation and introspections, um, I think they express themselves through creativity in so many different forms. And I wish for everybody to find a way to be creative in their lives. Thank you so very much, Lorenzo, for talking to us today. I would say that for all of you out there listening, if you have any questions, comments, or if this conversation inspired you, we invite you to share your thoughts on our website, www.creativepoison.com, spelled creative P-O-I-S-N. On our social media, we have the Facebook page at Creative Poison and our Instagram account at creativepoison underscore on. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Creative Poison 
don't forget to follow our new series, Hashtag Creativity Will Save Us. The next video episode will be out next Tuesday and our new podcast episode next Wednesday. And please follow Lorenzo Tione on Instagram at Lorenzo SFNYC. And I don't know, uh, Lorenzo, if you're familiar with this, but we usually close our interviews with our tagline for our show, which is ready, set, imagine. Okay, so what do we say? Ready, Ready, set, set, imagine. (laughs) Thank you. Within your